Hi, this is Tzvi Freeman for Chabad.org. You may have read some of my articles on the site or seen some of my books. But for now, I want you to just sit back and let me turn your world on its head. These are seven teachings from seven tzaddikim for seven joyous days of Sukkot, or Sukkot, whichever way you say it. But first let me explain something. The Zohar tells us that each night of Sukkot we have seven special guests called Ushpizen. That's the Aramaic for guest, Ushpizen, that come to our Sukkot. The whole party, all seven of them, except that each night one of them takes a turn at leading. The first one is Avraham Avinu, Abraham, father of us all. Then comes Isaac, Yitzchak. Then comes Jacob. Then comes Moshe, Moses, then Aaron. And then, it's a little bit out of, out of chrono- chronological order, Joseph and then King David. And, and that's a long-standing tradition that in many communities they actually have words that they say to invite them in and and uh, make them feel at home. So in Chabad, there's a tradition. Actually, the, the previous Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, was the one who, who told about this, is that there's also seven Hasidic Hasidic Ushpizen, beginning with the Baal Shem Tov on the first night, and then the Magad of Mizrich, and then the Alter Rebbe, and then his son and heir, the Mittler Rebbe. After him came the, the uh, son-in-law, who was also a grandson through a daughter of the Alter Rebbe, the Tzemech Tzedek. Then came his son, the Rebbe Maharash, Rabbi Shmuel of Lubavitch, and then the Rebbe Rishab. Uh, Rabbi Shalom Dov Be'er, the fifth Rebbe Lubavitch. That makes seven Ushpizen that in a Chabad Sukkah you'll invite one each night. As, as, well, we don't actually say the invitation. We expect that this is his night, so we'll tell a story about him and some Torah from him. So here are seven separate Torah's teachings from each of those seven Siddiquim, one for each night. Now, this isn't the way they said it or wrote it, because if I would present it that way, it was pretty cryptic and condensed and makes a lot of assumptions. So I'm fleshing it out a little bit and giving my presentation of it, and I really hope they will forgive me. And I also hope that you'll enjoy these and say them over each of the seven nights in your sukkah. So here's the first one from... Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tev. And Sukkot, the Baal Shem Tev would exclaim, where's the Simchas Beis HaShoeva? That's the, the celebration in, in the Beis HaMikdash, where they would celebrate for seven days nonstop. So he'd say, where is it? He would say, Rabbi Gamaliel would juggle torches, and their eyes never saw sleep. How could it be that we've been sleeping all these hundreds of years? Wake up, you sleeping people. Wake up from your slumber. Those were the words of the Baal Shem Tev. You see, since 
the base of Mikdash was destroyed. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. So it's like the entire Jewish people fell into a deep sleep. What's sleep? Sleep is when you're sleeping, you're still alive, breathing, digesting, pumping blood. But your eyes don't see, your ears don't hear, and your mind doesn't understand a thing. It just dreams, crazy dreams. So that's how we've been since the Besamekdash, the temple, was destroyed. There, in, in the temple, especially on Sukkot, Sukkot, we saw open miracles. We felt we were standing in God's presence. We understood clearly that there is a God in the world and He is everywhere, within all things and beyond all things at the same time. So losing the temple in Jerusalem is not just losing a nice building, it's a deep spiritual loss. At the celebration in our own sukkahs, so we're making up for some of that. We're tapping into a deeper reality to get a tiny taste of what we lost. But this is what the Baal Shem Tov meant. The celebration is meant to wake us up so that we won't be satisfied with life as it is. So we'll do all we can to repair the world and then we'll merit to see the times of Mashiach now. You can look that one up in Kesar Shem Tov. Simon Shin Mem Hey, that's 345. And the explanation is there for the Rebbe spoke it in 1954, 53. It's in volume 10 of Torah Menachem. Anyways, here's the next one. This is from the Magad of Mizrich. So the Talmud tells us that when Hillel Azakin, Hillel the Elder, came to celebrate in the Beis Amikdash on Sukkot, he would say, Im anikan hakolkan, which means if I am here, this is a song he would sing actually. This is the beginning lines of the song that he made up and he would sing. If im anikan hakolkan, if, if I am here, everyone is here. And the next line is, Vim in anikan mikan. If I'm not here, then who is here? Like no one is here. So now that's very strange. The Talmud tells lots of stories about the extreme humility of Hillel describes how he had the patience for every person and never saw himself as greater or more important than others. So this statement, if I'm here, everyone is here, and I'm not here, no one is here, it's like really out of character. It's like the opposite. Until we take into account a short passage of the Jerusalem Talmud. It goes like this. Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi said, Do you know why it was called the celebration of the house of drawing water? That's Simchas Beis Literally, the celebration of the house of drawing water. That's what the celebration in the, in the temple in the Beis Mikdash was called. So he says, why was it called that? Because from there they drew divine inspiration. It wasn't just water they were drawing. They were drawing divine inspiration, Ruach HaKedosh. The Holy Spirit rested on them there. Rabbi Yonah said, this, the prophet Yonah ben Amitai, remember the one who was swallowed up by the big fish? That prophet, Yonah ben Amitai, was one of the holiday pilgrims to the temple. He walked into the Simchas Beis Shoeva, this big celebration, 
and the divine spirit rested upon him. And uh, continues there in the, in the Jerusalem Talmud. From this we understand that the divine spirit only rests upon a joyous heart. As the verse says, as soon as the musician began to play music, the spirit of God rested upon the prophet. There was a prophet who was in a bad mood and he needed to, prophes- to say a prophecy. So he asked the musicians to play. And so when he starts hearing the music, then he was able to. So you see that you need a, you need a joyous heart. And there in the temple, they had really joyous hearts. Everybody was very happy, a very real celebration. And everybody walked away from there with this Ruach HaKedosh, with this divine spirit of divine inspiration. So Hillel came to this celebration and he felt that this awesome spirit of divine inspiration is like so awesome. When he said, if I am here, everyone is here, he meant that if he could feel it, certainly everyone else could feel it because it's just so great. How is it possible? If someone like me could be feeling this, this, this great divine spirit, well, if even I could feel it, then must be that everybody else for sure can feel it. Okay, but then what about his next words? If I am not here, no one else is here. Oh, he certainly didn't mean that if he can't feel it, nobody else could. That would be a contradiction to what he just said. So here's a solution. Let's take an example. Consider the way we think about relative wealth. For a person who deals with dimes and nickels, every nickel or dime is significant. But for a person who carries around $100 bills, there's no need to bother with dimes and nickels. Nevertheless, for both of them, somebody brings in a precious, flawless jewel from the, the royal jewel collection, from, from the, the, the royal crown, this valueless jewel. It makes nickels, dimes, $100 bills all seem the same. So that's what Hillel meant here, that the divine spirit that he, that he experienced there was so awesome Everyone was equally small in comparison, so much so that if he could not feel it, he couldn't imagine that anyone else could. If he couldn't be there, he couldn't be experiencing this, then nobody could, because relative to this awesome experience, the smallest and the greatest were all the same. That's from the Magad, or Torah, Simon 431. And here's one for the third night from Rabbi Shneur Zalman of Liadi, the Alter Rebbe. said, the whole year long, all the offerings in the temple were accompanied with wine. Only on Sukkot, you poured water on the altar. You had, the Kohen had one bottle of wine. He's pouring a va- vase, a flask of wine in another. At the same time, he's pouring water at the same time on the altar. And then the simcha, the joy, was so much greater. So what's the connection between water and this explosive joy? So the answer is that, well, wine, wine brings its own joy, and that limits how much joy it can provide. Water doesn't impose any limits. See, wine says in Tehillim, in the Psalms, wine gladdens the heart of man. Wine has intrinsic taste, energy, certain other properties that 
when used the right way, can enhance the celebration, some wines more than others. Water is simple, tasteless. That's why unless you're thirsty, you don't say a blessing on drinking plain water. Yet it's that simplicity of water that allows it to carry an even greater joy. Water doesn't paint that joy any color or squeeze it into any form. So the celebration that goes along with the pouring of water knows no limits. That's the difference between the other festivals and Sukkot. On the other festivals, the joy is mainly according to the person's understanding. But the joy of Sukkot far transcends any understanding, comprehension, That's also the difference between the joy of doing a mitzvah that's limited to your understanding of the deep meaning of this particular mitzvah and the joy of a mitzvah done out of the simple knowledge that this is what God wants you to do. Understanding is sweet, but the joy carried in simplicity is simply unbounded. So that's based on the Kutei Torah, Parshish Nitzavim, 48c, with some explanations from Lakuti Sichus. Now, from the fourth one is the, from the Mittler Rebbe, Rebbe Dovber of Lubavitch, the son of the Alter Rebbe. It says the, in the Gemara that when someone lowers himself with true humility, God raises him up. So why is that? Because if someone truly has that quality of sincere humility, that person can handle greatness without it getting to his his head. So it's like God sees this beautiful, beautiful person. Oh, it's so lovely there. But he discovers that if he picks him up, (laughs) no, he's not so pretty once he gets picked up. He starts getting full of himself. So we have to wait for him to be able to retain that humility even when he's picked up. And then he'll be beautiful even when he's picked up and he'll stay beautiful. So uh, David, who became King David, for example, even when he was a great hero and king of Israel, but he still danced, he sang with joy like a commoner when the Holy Ark, the Aaron Kedish, was brought to Jerusalem. He got heck for it from his wife, but that's the way he was. Or take Hillel the Elder, who happens to also be a descendant of King David. And he was also extremely humble. When he came to the Simchas Besa Shoeva, the Sukkot celebration in the temple, so he sang that song. Remember, we talked about it before. If I'm here, everyone is here. If I'm not here, no one is here. So, like we said before, the Magad explained, that would seem to be the opposite of Hillel's extreme humility. So we gave the Magad's explanation, but here the Mitla Rebbe explains it a little differently. It's very interesting. He says, on the truth, it's really quite the contrary. The only reason Hillel could say this is because he was so humble, so it didn't affect him to say it. So Hillel felt this intense divine light in this great celebration, and he felt like nothing before. So what difference did it make if one nobody was smarter than the other nobodies? They're all still nobodies before the, this awesome divine presence So he felt that he felt there. So he said, if a nobody like me could be here, then all these nobodies can also be here. And there, the middle of the Rebbe says something very fascinating. He, he says, he could even say, I'm, I'm a nobody and you're even more of a nobody than me. <laughs> and he says, it's like you're having a party and there's 
the, the, all the important people there, the ministers in the government, maybe even the, the king or the mayor of the city at least. And there's this pauper there, this, this real nobody there. And he's saying to everybody, ah, they're all nothings. I'm, I'm much greater than them. I'm a bigger nothing than them, or they're a bigger no, nothing than me. He, he can say that. Why? Because he feels it's all nothing. They're all nobodies. And he's a nobody. So it doesn't bother him to say, I'm, I'm, you're a lesser nobody or a greater nobody. He, he's not in that world right now. In, in his world, everything is a nobody. Basically, to say what Hillel had, had to say, what Hillel said there, you really had to believe that you were a nobody. That's in Shari Tshuva, the end of chapter 4. Shari Tshuva is in Shara Tefillah. Here's from the Tzemech Tzedek, Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Lubavitch, Tzemech Tzedek. He talks about the Ushpizen. You know, the Zohar says that we have each night, I mentioned before, the seven Ushpizen that come to our sukkah. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Aaron, Joseph, David. So Tzemech Tzedek explained who these Ushpizen are. They're the spheres or spheres are modalities with which God created the world. When God created the world, on the first day he created with kindness, chesed. On the second day with judgment. On the third day with beauty. Fourth day is victory. The fifth day is splendor. Sixth day is connection. It's yesod, connection. And the seventh was majesty. So that on every Sunday... Since then, since the creation, well, that means every Sunday there ever was, it's the modality of kindness that reigns. And on Monday, judgment reigns. That's how the week continues according to the very first week of creation. The Ushpizen are lofty souls who brought these seven divine modalities of creation into reality in this world during their lifetime. So that Abraham reflected God's kindness in the world. And Isaac reflected divine judgment. And Jacob was all about divine beauty. And Moses' life reflected victory. And Aaron reflected divine splendor. And Joseph connected heaven and earth. And David was the embodiment of divine majesty. So on all three festivals, there's a higher light that shines through each of these modalities, a very joyous light. So each day, in a certain way, you also have Ushpizen on those seven days, the seven days of Pesach, and Sukkot in the days following up. But the highest, most joyful light is that which shines through them on Sukkot, from a much, much higher place, way beyond everything. What's that joy? So he explains. This is Tzemech Tzedek, explains. It's like the joy of someone who's reunited with a long-lost close friend. So two of these modalities of creation are reunited with their source above. That's, that's from Oratora on Sukkot. But his son, the Rebbe Maharash, his youngest son of the Tzemech the Rebbe Maharash, explained this guest idea a little further. So here is for the sixth night from the Rebbe Maharash, Rebbe Shmuel of Lubavitch. He said, so what's the great simcha, the great joy of Sukkot? He said, it's the kind of joy you feel when you meet a close friend you haven't seen in years, and you run to him and hug him tight. And the longer you were apart, the tighter the hug, the greater the joy. 
So you see, on Yom Kippur, we did teshuva. We, we returned to God. Because there might have been some time in our past where we put the energy of our holy souls into something or some place where holy souls don't belong. Then we regretted that. And on Yom Kippur, we returned to God with love, and God accepted us and forgave us for everything. That's one reason for celebration. But what happens to those wrong things we might have gotten involved in in the past? Well, those things return as well. What do I mean? Because everything has some spark of good in it, some purpose for which God created it. It's just that some things lose their purpose. It's like their spark went out and they became dark and ugly. But when we return to God on Yom Kippur, the good in those things returns as well, those sparks of goodness. That's a very great celebration for God. When we return, well, he expects us to return. But those sparks of goodness are to him like long-lost friends that he'd given up on. It gives him great joy, nachas, to see the works of his creation returning to him. So the Rebbe Maharaj explains the schach, those branches and whatever on top of the sukkah, that's a hug brought about by the returning souls, and sparks of goodness from Yom Kippur. We celebrate in the sukkah and do the mitzvah of lulav in the sukkah to bring that hug into ourselves. So that's the Hemshech V'chach from the Rabbi Shmuel, the Rabbi Maharash Lubavitch. And this is now the seventh night from the Rebbe Rashab, who was the son of the Rebbe Maharash. And he talked about what is water have to do with joy. So we, we had some of this before from the Alter Rebbe, but here further. Wine, we understand, but water, water and joy. But he says, so that's just the point. Even the water is celebrating here. You see, wine represents understanding. Wine, it says in David's Psalms, I said this before by the Alter Rebbe, it makes people happy. The same with understanding. When you work hard to understand something and you finally get it, you smile. But you never really get all of it. The most you can understand is only what can fit within a human mind. The real truth, as it truly is, that remains beyond us. Water represents that kind of truth. Water has no color, no form, no way to grasp it. Water represents the wisdom that is beyond understanding. But on Sukkot, in the temple, that wisdom in its deepest, purest sense came out into the open, accessible to all. So if understanding brings joy, imagine what joy that wisdom brought when it burst into our world. That's why all those who came away with came away from there with a the spirit of Ruach HaKedosh, the divine inspiration. They soaked up that light of pure wisdom that shone there in that celebration. And so should we, this Sukkot. That's the very conclusion of the Maimur Ush'avtam from the year 5669. And wish everybody a very joyous, celebrative Sukkot will all wake up and have the real celebration in the base of Mikdash, now. Amen.